Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. With open phone lines for you, 312-332-ESPN. 332-3776 is our telephone number. Hit me up on Twitter, twitter.com, tweet Hood on Snapchat, snapjhood. You follow me on Snapchat, I will follow you back, guaranteed. As we broadcast live from... Our first Midwest Bank Studios. It's the way banking is supposed to be. We will hear from Chris Ranji coming up from ESPN 101 in St. Louis, our sister station. Chris will give us his thoughts about the upcoming uh, Cubs and Cardinals matchup. That's always fun. Cubs and Cardinals are always fun. Long-time rivalry, whether it's at Bush or whether it's at Wrigley Field, it's always a lot of fun. So we'll hear from Chris coming up in seven minutes on that matchup right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We also have Tales from the Hood, stories of sports, entertainment, everything else in between. And uh, also... We heard from Brian Hanley in our last half hour. Hope that you enjoyed our conversation. We actually, that is just part of the conversation I had with him on the Under the Hood podcast. We'll tell you how you can get that. But if you're a podcast listener and you heard me talk about the Under the Hood podcast, you can actually hear the interview in our conversation in its entirety uh, coming up at... Uh, Coming up on the Under the Hood podcast, wherever you download your podcast, whether it is on SoundCloud, whether it's on iTunes, wherever you download it, you can find that. Now, what I want to promote is Brian has his Kentucky Derby picks, and that's coming up in 90 minutes from now. So part of that conversation, because he is someone who knows about horses and knows about the Derby, that guy was really good with picking, I think, the win place and show, I believe, all three at one point. Got some money for some people. Uh, we'll hear from Brian coming up at 9.30 on those Kentucky Derby picks. If you're into that, I got it for you at 9.30 right here on ESPN 1000. Oh, by the way, oh, by the way, if it's Thursday, you know we have... Throwback Thursday coming up at 9.35 here on ESPN 1000. We've got a great question to ask you. It's a way for you to jog your memory of things from the past. So we got some for you for Throwback Thursday, 9.35 here on ESPN 1000. Again, we're going to hear from Chris Ranji from ESPN St. Louis coming up in a few moments. I saw this piece in the USA Today. Scroll, scroll, scroll. It is attendance drops for 12 Major League Baseball teams as loss of gate takes on more permanent look. This is an interesting piece that uh, came out a day ago about Major League Baseball's attendance problem is not going away as a significant dip in the 2018 uh, has endured into the new season, even with better weather and a boost from some big-name stars on the move. As the game's worst part of the calendar comes to a close, 12 of 30 teams will draw fewer fans in March through April than they did in a similar period last year, with seven of those teams seeing double-digit percentage dips, led by the Toronto Blue Jays at 33% with a drop-off, according to the USA Today. Perhaps more alarmingly, 
15 teams saw a decrease in their worst March-April gait, which can really, when you take a look at the snapshot of the club's season ticket base, 12 teams' worst gait was 11,000 or less with four teams. Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Baltimore, Miami, sporting a base of less than 10,000. Can I tell you something? If you have, there's bad teams. Clearly, there's bad teams. If you're a Marlins fan, die-hard Marlins fan, right? You got the gear, everything else, brand-new ballpark, and you wake up in the morning on opening day knowing your team's not going to be anywhere near the World Series. There is no Disney-like magic with this team like it was for a couple of teams for the Marlins. This is not happening this year. It's not happening anytime soon. Baltimore, no matter how strong they play against the White Sox, you would think the Sox are just a little bit better than the Orioles, but then again, just never, I mean, I point is, is that the Orioles drawing 6,500 people, Miami drawing 5,900 people, Cincinnati drawing 7,700, um, Pittsburgh drawing 8,500. Man, let me tell you, if you can't get over at least the 10,000 threshold, that's tough. And for some that are wondering why aren't the White Sox on that on that list, clearly the White Sox are drawing better than those teams, and that's sad <laughs> because when you how many games have you seen? And the Sox, by the way, have had a ton of day games, which is really uncharacteristic. Even in April, they've had a ton of day games, and have not had great weather here either, as you well know. Living here in Chicago, there's not been great weather, but my goodness, we talked in our last hour about how the game can grow. If people are not coming to the ballpark, and in for Cincinnati, and it's funny, I heard the broadcast with the Reds. I wanted, was it Marty Brennan? No, it, was, um, it might have been Thom Brennan. Thom Brennan. He was talking about the kids. The kids are still in school. <laughs> so Brennan was on that broadcast talking about how in that series, I believe they had against Atlanta, that Braves are waiting for kids to get out of school. Cincinnati Reds are trying to wait for kids to get out of school. It's like, I didn't know kids were like eight or nine years old smoking with mustaches saying, here, I want four for my family. It's not It's not the kids. It's the parents that take the kids. They don't want to go. <laughs> You're waiting for kids to get out of school. It's not like it's, you know, two 10-year-olds with a family of five saying, hey, give me, give me five. Give me five and give me uh, the kids discount. I don't think that's happening in Cincinnati. So it's, I, I found those numbers uh, very compelling. Blue Jays, Twins are down 18%. Giants down 17%. Marlins, Kansas City down 15 16%. I mean, again, if it gets warm and your team's still bad, why, do you still, why would you even go then? Let's, this number is interesting here as we are now in May. I'd love to see the number in August, in July and August. Your teams are bad then, too. <laughs> they're bad in March and April, but they're also going to be bad in, in August. People just have more time to do other things. And there's, there's, no trying to, there's no trying to scratch your head trying to figure it out. There's no figuring it out. No, well, what it is 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 that people have other things to do. They, you know, they're, watch, they're going to the movies or Netflix and chill or they're going out with their friends. And they're just not going to spend top dollar on a below average product. They're not even watching it on TV. So that that's also bad. I saw the NBA ratings last week. You know, Bulls on the radio, brutal. Television, Stacy and Neil or Stacy, whoever he's working with, Stacy will try to make it as entertaining as possible. But damn, if the basketball is bad, you ain't gonna watch. 
I, let, let me raise my hand and tell you, I'm always looking for the better game than the worst game, and I watch the entire league. It's just, it's just one of those things. Glad you're with me here on ESPN 1000 on the ESPN app. Let me talk about the Bears for a second. I thought it was um, interesting, some thoughts from Dan Graziano on NFL Live, because they were going through the grades as far as the draft and free agency. And, of course, the Bears have their guy. People are just, you don't worry about the draft for the Bears. You just look at, I don't know, Khalil Mack. That's my draft. They, they were able to get Khalil Mack. He's still on this football team, as is this team should compete for the NFC North title. But Graziano had some thoughts about the Bears' draft and free agency. Listen. Dan, what kind of grade would you give the Bears? Well, I, I, gave, the, I gave the Bears a B-. minus. They only made five picks. Now, the, point, the counterpoint to that is that they, uh, they traded their first-round pick for Khalil Mack. So if you count that as part of their draft, then you would give them a better grade. But that was last year. So I'll go B-minus. I, like, uh, I like what they did. I like what they did. You only made five picks, you get a B-minus. That's yes. not bad. David Montgomery's a running back that could be, you know, eventually a replacement for Jordan Howard as a, as a kind of a workhorse in their offense. And, you know, they, they just they kind of looked at spots where their, their roster's already pretty loaded. They looked at spots where they might be able to use some long-term help, and then and they went ahead and drafted it. All right, so the full picture along with free agency, what do you yeah. think? Well, free agency again. They didn't do a lot. They they brought they brought in specific guys that they that filled holes. Clinton Dix and Buster Screen were two guys that replaced guys who left. Adrian Amos and Bryce Callahan, uh, and then Cordero Patterson adds something on special teams. Obviously, with his speed, potentially on offense. We already talked about Jordan Howard leaving. So I like what they did in free agency because it was targeted and it uh, it addressed what they are. They just weren't a very active team this offseason. Because they didn't have to be. They won 12 games. So it's already a roster that, that has good reason to feel confident going into this season. I think they did just fine in the draft and free agency. But I think, unlike a lot of teams, the draft and free agency wasn't necessarily as important to this particular Bears unit. Okay, so your bold prediction based on that? After all that, my bold prediction is the Bears will miss the playoffs. Why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because there's five playoff teams every year. Somebody's wow. got to miss it. They made it last year. Why? They only have to, they only have to slip a little bit. Schedule's going to be tougher, right? They finished in first place. So obviously schedule's a lot tougher than it is when you finish in third or fourth place. The Vikings, I think, are, are still a playoff contender. The Packers, I think, are a bounce-back team. So I think they play in a very difficult division. And I think... If you look at five new playoff teams every year or more, you have to take somebody out. I think with Mitchell Trubisky still hasn't shown overall consistency in terms of taking care of the ball. I just think this is maybe a team that jumped up, maybe takes a little step back before building something in the future. What? Graziano, did you hear the last minute of that? Graziano doesn't believe the Bears will be in the playoffs. You know he's going to stick with that, right? He's saying this on May 2nd. He's got to stick with that. He's going to have to wear that all offseason into the regular season, into the playoffs when the Bears are there. How about that? Now, before we make a, <laughs> make a mountain out of all of this, right, let me tell you, some of the points that he made were correct, but also some of the points that he made are based on show me again. Because when it comes to the Bears, no matter if you are into the Bears or believe that the next step is a Super Bowl, the next step is being in the playoffs year after year after year, here's the thing. The bottom line is is that the Bears have to show the NFL universe again that they can be able to get on top, win the division, and be a difference maker. 
And so when it comes to the Bears, Graziano talking about how Trubisky has to show him again. I understand that. Trubisky has to show me again. My thought on Trubisky has not wavered. It's always been the same. You're trying to figure out what Trubisky is in year number two. As I mentioned, offensively, you saw a lot of razzle-dazzle. You saw a lot of side-to-side. And the offense was not getting up and down the field as well as I think Nagy would have liked. He doesn't mind what he's seen. But if there is no growth from what we saw from uh, Trubisky last year, uh, then that will be a problem. That's why in Penn, when the schedule came out, I said 10-6 and six for the Bears. As I, and I was going to tell you that even, even though the schedule came out and I said 10-6, and six, I have room to change by the time the Bears get to Bourbon A, and I have time to change again uh, after the uh, preseason's over. So the point of Graziano, and I know you're probably like, oh, my God, I can't believe. Well, you know what? Vegas looked at the Bears as um, – the over-under was somewhere on like eight, eight in some places, nine in some places. Because I think that the Bears have to show again that they can get back on the mountaintop. Here's the question I think that we're going to ask a lot. Are the Bears, were the Bears just a field goal kicker away, a good one, from being able to get to the Super Bowl or not? We will find out here in this upcoming season. Glad that you're with us here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Jonathan Hood with you. Pleased to be joined by Chris Ranji, my colleague from our sister station, 101 ESPN at St. Louis. As the Cubs get ready to take on the Cardinals, Chris joins me here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Hello, Chris. Hood. What's up, buddy? Fox, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. Are we going to do high school holla or no? <laughs> well, not with you. Okay. <laughs> I will, but not with you, sir. What's happening, man? You know what's happening. It's Cubs and Cardinals. You know, you know the rivalries here. Before I even get to that, you're the perfect person to talk to tonight about oh, great. yes about the topic because you are in this baseball utopia that is St. Louis, Missouri. The the old thing I saw the piece in the Athletic.com. We just talked about it earlier about old school versus new school when it comes to um, to baseball. I made the comment that in the National Football League, in the NBA, even the NHL to an extent, that they're not clinging to the old school. You know, in NFL, it's not about trying to run the ball between the tackles. You're seeing the ball up and they're trying to get it down the field. Same thing in uh, what we're seeing here with the NBA. It's about the three point shot. And Major League Baseball seems stuck. From your listeners, are, are, are they mostly traditional baseball people, or are they looking for change in the sport? You know, I, that's re- it's really hard to judge for me because we don't really take a whole lot of phone calls. Mm-hmm. Actually, we take pretty much none. because So it's just a station policy. We don't do it. So we don't really get a chance to talk directly to listeners and have a back and forth with them. We don't have the interaction um, I mean, we take voicemails and stuff, and you get tweets and you get text. So it's kind of hard to judge, but I think most people are, are traditional when it comes to that. But quite honestly, I think at least my impression of most baseball cities is they the majority is still traditional, while there's a growing number of people who uh, who think more about progressing the game in a number of different ways. Uh, and I don't know if that's accurate, but that's the way it seems to me. It just it just seems like baseball, for whatever reason, there's a there's a romanticism about it, and and people are always clamoring for the way things used to be 40, 50 years ago when they were growing up, and 
you know, things are always better then. It, and you know what? And I guess now that I think about it, hockey's kind of like that in a way too, because you have a grow, you have a not a growing number. I think it's a shrinking number, but you have a lot of people who want the fights to be a huge part of the game, like it used to be, and think enforcers are important. And it just for me, my impression of the hockey fan and the baseball fan is kind of similar in that way. But, but again, that's just my impression. And I do think. In St. Louis, it might be a little bit more traditional than in other areas. There are more people clinging to it, I, I suppose. Um, but having been in Chicago for a long time, I, I, I think there are a lot of baseball traditionalists, too. So I would say there's a lot more similar, a lot more similarities between the two cities when it comes to baseball than you realize. I guess then the question would be, Chris, how does the sport grow? Because we're, cause as as we you and I can go through the numbers from an analytics standpoint, look at the numbers and see that baseball is more than average and home run and RBI is more than what's the hitting. It's it's more than that. It's you can look at the game in a whole bunch of different ways now, and and even those that are in our age range and a little bit older, they are not they're not willing to cling on to that. They don't want to be able to be part of that. So how does the game grow then? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a tough question. I guess the reality is you have to, and, and baseball has been slower to, um, to to go with this than a lot of other sports in terms of of progressing the game in a fun way and allowing players to be fun. And I know if you if you look at, and I'm sure you've seen it, MLB Twitter accounts, all the ones that they've got, they usually do a decent job of promoting young players, the Tim Andersons who flip bats and that kind of thing. But I don't know if all fans are on board with it yet. But I do think the sentiment is, is it, the people who aren't on board with that kind of stuff, um, they're either changing their minds or they're dying. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're older and they're, they're, you know, their time is, is gone. So I do believe that people generally are, are more open to players who don't just put their head down and run. I think that you need more and more of that, and I think baseball recognizes that. And whether or not you like all the stuff that Rob Manfred suggests or what he wants to do, and I'm not, I'm not on board with everything, and I'm not sure he, he's – I don't even know how I feel about him, to be perfectly honest. But I do think he understands that baseball has to do something not about – not about the right now, because if you're a baseball fan right now, you're not going anywhere. You're going to watch games. And you can complain about them implementing the designated hitter in a National League city. You can complain about that all you want. You can complain about bat flips all you want. But the truth is, if you like baseball now, you're not going to stop liking the game. But what Manfred and I think MLB right now understands is it's not about you. It's not about us. It's about who might be paying to go to games 15 years from now. People who are 10 years old now, and when they have income, and they can decide what they do with that income in 10 to 15 years. Are they going to buy baseball tickets, or are they going to do something else? And I think he understands that they need to bring those people in. So aside from allowing players to just do their thing and stop with the baseball police stuff, which I, don't, I think, I know a lot of fans like that, but I think it turns others off. It, that's what, for me, would help the game grow, is just allow players to be themselves. And that means other players have to stop being so old school when it comes to showing emotion on the field. Chris Ranji from our sister station, 101 ESPN, in St. Louis with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. 
So, Chris, what is the difference in the Cardinals last year versus this year? Because they're they're the first 30 games, pretty solid. They're hitting right now. They're hitting a ton. They're not having any problem driving in runs. They are um, right at the top of the league along with the Dodgers in terms of, of runs per game. That's what's different, and I don't know if it continues. And the reality is they've done it when Paul Goldschmidt's been obviously productive. His, his OPS is, is uh, over close to 900 at the moment, but he's not been, you know, typical Paul Goldschmidt in the, the MVP caliber sense, you know, because he's an MVP caliber player. He hasn't been quite that, but everybody else has been hitting, which I think is I, what they're doing now offensively is probably their peak. This is, this is I think, the best their offense can look. I don't think there's another gear. I know some people like to think there is, and I've heard people say, well, when everybody starts to click in the lineup, that just isn't going to happen. This, is, this right now, what you're getting out of the Cardinals offensively, is as good as they can be. Their bullpen has been really good. When they get a lead, they don't give it up. The only problem they have had, and it has gotten better in the last, I'd say, week or week and a half or so, is their starters just haven't gone deep enough in games. And while it works now, they're doing okay now, that's the kind of thing that can become a problem later in the year. So it's a thing they've got to get rectified because if you put too many innings, too much stress on your bullpen, that can work out for you at the beginning of the year for a couple of months. But by the time you get to October, you're going to wear everybody out. So... If they don't get better work from their starters, and again, they have lately, it's gotten better lately, but it needs to stay that way. Really, right now, just about everything they're doing, with the exception of, of that, I guess, has been, has been working out. Right now, you're seeing a Cardinals team that is playing as well as it can. I don't think they could play better, and I don't think they keep it up to this degree all year, but I still do think it's going to be a three-team race at the end of the season. I learned from the, the post-dispatch uh, this morning that Joe Buck is going to call one of the Cubs and Cardinals games. What is there a perception of, of Joe that I don't know? I just think that I don't know him at all, but I just he just, he just seemed just, just gets raked over the coals, and I think it's for no reason. Is there a, like a Tiger Woods-LeBron James effect in, in which I don't like him just because I don't like him, so I'm just going to rip him on social media? You know, honestly, the... the <laughs> The first time I ever heard him get really ripped by anybody was uh, Pappy. When, when, when North had him on his show, and I was working one day back at the score, mm-hmm. and I remember him interviewing Buck, and I was there, and I was like, dude, you're really giving it to him. I don't even know why. And then it just seemed to, and this was probably 2003 or something, and it just seemed to, to take on a life. And I don't think it was, it was Mike who did it. I, I think it might have been growing at the time. I don't know. It, it almost feels, Jay, like it's one of those, um, it's just kind of a, you know, like when people crap all over Nickelback, I just kind of feel like he's become, and, you know, Nickelback sucks. But I think it's just like popular to do, you know? And so everybody piles on and is like, oh, well, they're making fun of Nickelback, so I'm going to do it too. Same thing with Joe Buck. But actually, I think Joe is really good. I think he's, I, I've always thought he was really good. When he called his first World Series in, I think, 96 or 98, mm-hmm. Somewhere in there, I I thought he was very good, and he started off um, doing Cardinals games on the radio because, and and he's acknowledged this his entire career that if it weren't for his dad, he made a he would not have had the doors open for him when he was younger, and and that guy had a lot of doors open for him just because his dad was Jack Buck, and he knows that, and we all knew it. 
but he had to he had to prove himself to St. Louisans because there was a huge number of people when he first got that gig of calling games that that would say, and this is Cardinals fans that would say, "Oh yeah, of course you got that job because of your dad." It wasn't like, a, "Oh, you're Jack's son, so we automatically love you." It, it was not like that. But I think he earned respect because he's good at his job, and I've always thought he was really good. And I uh, that surprises me that people think that way. But um, it, and I guess it does happen with a lot of national broadcasters that fans everywhere just assume that because you're from a particular area that you hate every other team except for the town that you came from you know so he's only a cardinals fan because he's from here and i don't think he cares i like honestly i think he he most national all national broadcasters let's put it that way that do it professionally consistently all they care about doing is a good job they don't care who wins they just want to make sure the game is good and they are really truly focused on making sure their broadcast is good so I don't know why he gets the hate. I just think it'd be, it, it's one of those things that just kind of snowballed and everybody thinks it's fun to jump on him. Chris, uh, the, the, I think the, the common wisdom from some fans is if a team's underachieving, you've got to fire the manager. And I don't necessarily always agree with that. I thought that when I saw some of the Matheny teams over the last few years, I thought, uh, that doesn't look like Cardinals baseball. Not in a traditional sense, but just the way they were defensively. I'm like, that's not... Because if, if nothing else, in in when you look at St. Louis baseball, usually it's uh, a team that knows exactly what they're doing, like defensively strong, you know, good pitching, you know, timely hitting, all that. And I thought it with Matheny there was some slippage. I guess I could say that. So with with the new manager here, Shield, what's a, what's what's the difference between him and Matheny? Oh, you could say Shield. <laughs> can I say that? I wasn't sure if I could say that on ESPN. It's just Schiltz. Just be careful. Oh, <laughs> don't get yourself in trouble. Uh, we, we actually have a just a little side note. We have uh, Jamie Rivers. I don't know if you remember him. He played hockey, and he played for a few different teams, Blues, Senators. He uh, hosts on our station, and he, he he tried saying it the other day, and he said the word you're not supposed to. <laughs> um, they had to dump it, obviously. But anyway, it. it we haven't missed up. We haven't mixed that one up yet, so that's okay. good. But I don't, you know, Jay. I think really the only thing a manager can do, or the best thing a manager can do, and I do believe that people who have played baseball, whether it's in high school, college, or whatever, um, their experience with a coach or a manager is different than a major leaguer's experience with a manager. To me, when you get to that level, the most important thing a manager can do is make sure his guys are happy. Make sure your clubhouse is happy. I think people overstate, and anybody who's listened to me for a long time up there knows I don't think a ton about what managers do. I think if you've got a good team, um, you're going to win a lot of games, and I think it's, it's not really about that manager, but he's always the easy scapegoat. So the most important thing you can do is make sure your guys are happy. And I just don't think, because the, the truth is, and you know this, anywhere you work, if you're happy, you're going to do better at your job. It's just that simple. If you're happy where you work, you're going to be more productive. If you're unhappy, you're not. And that's really all I ask from a manager. The last guy in town, Mike Matheny, was popular with some guys. He was not popular with everybody. And I think there were a lot of people on the team who were uncomfortable playing for him for whatever reason. And I know it's really stupid, 
but it's it's also kind of not. If you look at social media posts, um, there were things like Matheny had made a comment in the press that maybe Yadier Molina needs to to sit a little bit more. I mean, and I'm paraphrasing. He was just talking about resting him because he's getting older. Mm-hmm. And Yadi went to Twitter or Instagram and is like, hey, I'll decide whenever I want to sit, you know, stuff like that. And then you have players liking his post. And it, again, it sounds silly, but when a player likes a post like that, there's a there's a tacit endorsement of it. And it kind of sounds like, hey, I agree with you. Our manager sucks. You know, that's kind of the way you can read it, and I don't think that's necessarily wrong. There were just a lot of guys, and I think Dexter Fowler is one of them, that just wasn't comfortable playing for Mike Matheny. Colton Wong did not appear to be comfortable playing for him. Well, now that he's gone, now that the clubhouse culture is different, you see a lot of them flourishing and a lot of them doing a whole lot better, and Fowler is off to a good start this year. So I I can't put it all on Mike Schiltz, but I do think he's created a better environment. Okay, well, um, I'm happy. Are you happy? With what? Yes. Are you happy? Because you said if I'm, if you're happy at work, you know, you'll do better. And I, are you happy? Oh, yeah, man. I'm just, uh, I'm killing it. <laughs> Jonathan Hood. I'm so hood. On ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Something about that guitar from Motorhead. I just big guitar mark. There's <laughs> a reason. There's a reason. I'm a big fan. Uh, glad that you're with us here on this Thursday night. Don't forget, coming up in an hour from now. Throwback. Throwback Thursday, right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Can I tell you about the Under the Hood podcast? I will tell you about the Under the Hood podcast because you can find my podcast wherever you download your podcast now, whether that's Stitcher, whether that's SoundCloud, whether it is uh, on iTunes, Apple Music, wherever you download your podcast, look for Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. It's a simple Google search. Put in UTH pod, see what pops up. No, not that. No, not that. That right there. Look for UTH pod and you can pick up our podcast. One of our favorite guests that we had on was Howard Griffith from the Big Ten Network, Southside Zone, two-time Super Bowl champion. We had a chance to talk to uh, Howard about his NFL career, uh, starting on the practice squad with the Buffalo Bills. Listen. So good to hear from, from Howard Griffith from the Big Ten Network. In Buffalo, there he is. I was just trying to figure it out. Mm. You know, I was just really trying to figure it out. I knew I wasn't at the level that those guys were at. And again, in, in Indianapolis and in Buffalo, they only kept three guys active. They never used a fullback. But because they were running this K-gun, it was so wide open. Mm-hmm. Um, so they never used a fullback or, or even they didn't go that deep in the tailback position. But, you know, I still kept working hard, kept grinding, and was around some really good coaches. And obviously these guys are Hall of Famers, had a chance to practice against, I mean, elite players 
And so I, I didn't have those, I didn't have those habits as far as working was concerned. And so I developed those things while I was on the practice squad because, you know, Bruce Smith would work out. You never saw him work out. Mm-hmm. This is what's amazing about Bruce Smith. You never saw him work out, but I mean, that dude looked like he was chiseled from granite. Mm-hmm. Now, he didn't look like he was chiseled from granite when he first was drafted out of Virginia Tech. Right. But by the time he had, you know, got everything squared away, and by the time I saw the all pro Bruce Smith, that dude looked like he was chiseled from granite. Wow. And that's how most of them guys look. It was like, if you don't play this game, you got to be dedicated, you know, to, to everything that's going on. Daryl Talley, Daryl Talley get on the Stairmaster for an hour and a half. Wow. And it's just not little stair. He grinding that thing. And shoot, you have dudes like Cornelius Bennett, mm-hmm. who should be in the Hall of Fame. Some, someday I hope he gets there, but, I mean, he's an unbelievable pass rusher. So you would have Bruce and Daryl and uh, Shane Conlon. I mean, it was just elite dudes that I'm having to practice against every day. Thank goodness they didn't hit and tackle. Right. <laughs> right. I don't know if I'd have been able to make it out, but I mean, these dudes were straight pros. They they got it and understood it. Now they had problems when they went to obviously Super Bowls, but sure. That happens. You um you were part of the expansion draft? It was part of the expansion draft. What was that like? Outside of the fact I thought I was getting ready to get more money. Yeah, you're right. Does <laughs> expansion be in my wallet? <laughs> Is that what you thought? Man. So that was pretty cool. It really actually was. So we get drafted by... Part of history. Yeah, Carolina. Um, So it's a whole bunch of us, man. So they'd never had a professional football team there. So there was that whole, you know, if you were big, you know, everybody thought everybody was on the football team. I mean, it was. I can't tell you how many people that had nothing to do with the Carolina uh, Panthers got free stuff all the time just because, you know, sure. physically you look like, oh, you play for the Panthers? Yeah, how would you, how'd you know? <laughs> right? Of course. But there, you know, it was with um, uh, Bill Polian was the GM down there. Mm-hmm. Chick Harris, who was my running back coach with the Rams, had gone out there. So it was, it was a real good staff. Dom Capers was the head coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some talent, some talented players that were drafted by that team, too. But that was cool. That's when I really figured out I was going, you know, this fullback thing, I got it down. Now I'm, I'm ready to go. So it's myself and Bob Christian. Bob Christian been drafted yeah. from the Bears oh, yeah. expansion team. And uh, it was the funniest thing happened. Bob and I are competing for the same spot, right? But we would help each other. We, you know, and Frank Wright couldn't figure this out for the life of him. Now, I had known Frank from Buffalo. Mm-hmm. He was down there now. They brought him down as Buffalo South, or Buffalo East, whatever they were calling it. And Frank comes in up and asks, he said, man, why are you, why are you guys talking and competing? And why are you helping each other? I was like, man, I had this experience when I was in, in Illinois, my sophomore year. The, the veteran guy that was there, I didn't know the offense since Makovic's first year. So I'd look at the script that has the plays on it. I know, okay, I got the fifth play. I know what the play is. I'm good. That was all good until they said, Howard, take the next three. <laughs> right. right. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I don't know. I'm looking back. I'm yeah. like, man, what, what, what's the play? What do I have? What do I have? That dude was like, I ain't telling you. What you mean you ain't telling me? Mm-hmm. I ain't telling you. We competing against each other. That stuck with me forever. I said, I'd never do that to somebody. I get it. I said, but I'll never do that to somebody. 
I never do it. So Bob and I going back and forth, we're helping each other, we're doing this, we're working hard. And Joe Pendry was the offensive coordinator who had right, right. been up here, so he knew Bob. Bob knew the playbook. I end up uh, tearing my MCL, something, I think. And uh, so I missed the first game. So Bob gets to start. Bob's off to the races. He's the first one to score, like, I think, a rushing and a receiving touchdown. <laughs> Bob's off to the races. But we're still good. It still ends up working out. Mm-hmm. But that experience was it was cool. Steve Berline was on the quarterback. Kerry Collins yeah. had been drafted. He's you know going to be the face of the franchise. Lamar Latham, the outside linebacker, this yeah. dude, and he knew how to party. <laughs> so really? I wasn't accustomed to this. So in the, in the south, the southeast, hardwood floors and all of that. Mm-hmm. You know I don't know about that. Right, you know, Chicago. Well, there in South Carolina and North Carolina, hardwood floors is a big thing. Mm-hmm. So he goes into his house and decides, you know what? I don't like hardwood floors. I'm going to put marble and granite everywhere. So he puts this black <laughs> marble, granite, whatever the heck it is, onto the floor it's in like, the basement. It's like black and white. In color. the basement? Yeah. On the first floor, running up the walls. I mean, it was unbelievable. <laughs> Something wrong, man. I mean, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, Lamar would tell you, he'd give you the shirt off his back. And he'd say, hey, man, as long as my mama's straight, I'm going to spend every penny. But my mama going to be straight, and every, after that, I don't care what happens. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Lamar, can I have that tie? Oh, yeah, you can have it after this trip. And, I mean, it was unbelievable. Wow. So this dude would have parties <laughs> Thanksgiving. So now I'm settling down. Yeah. Got a son on the way, getting ready to get married to my wife. And uh, they come down. And Lamar's like, hey, listen, everybody. Um. Yeah, I know y'all got to spend time with your family and all of that stuff. But about 8.30 or 9, y'all need to head on up to my place. He lived up on this place, Lake Norman. Mm-hmm. We drive up here, go up to this party. It's just him. He's a bachelor. He has his chef in. There's uh, the beer, Sapporo beers. Mm-hmm. So I'd never been exposed to that. And big cans. I don't like. They, it never. There was a, It just never ended. It was just. Stuff between that and champagne, it never ended. And it was probably 60, 70 people in his house, and he never ran out of anything, whether it was fried turkeys, alcohol. It never ended. <laughs> wow. Wait a minute, hour. Right. It never ended. So I'm like, hey, this beer was pretty good. Right. The store. I'm, see how much this stuff? I'm, Whoa. This costs what? For one? <laughs> wow. And it didn't end. It is place. Mm-hmm. So we had some characters on that team. There was some characters. But it was another it was, again, said, it was another good experience. You said it never ran out of fried it, turkey it, either. It, it didn't run out of nothing. Fried turkeys, beer. That's whatever whatever you whatever you whatever you wanted, it just never ran out. <laughs> <laughs> so the conversation with Howard Griffith from the Big Ten Network, two time Super Bowl champion. He was on my podcast again. Wherever you download your podcast, hear that interview in its entirety. Great conversation. It was two parts, actually. It was a two-part conversation I had with uh, Howard Griffith about stories just like that and a lot more on the Under the Hood podcast. All right, coming up, we got for you Tales from the Hood, stories of sports, entertainment, everything else in between. That is coming up next. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. It's the ESPN app. What do you got there? This is your car. My car? 
I said a 10 second car, not a 10 minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Tales from the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here we go. Tales from the Hood, stories of sports, entertainment, everything else in between. Glad that you're with me here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here's a story for you. How about uh, the story about the top 50 sexiest accents in the world? I'll start from 10 through number one. You tell me, Eric, if I'm missing one. Brazilian Portuguese, South USA, meaning that if you're from Louisiana, Arkansas, Memphis, Tennessee, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina. The southern accent in the USA is ninth. Spanish is eighth. French is seventh. Scottish is fifth. Australian is fifth. Italian is fourth. The Irish accent is number three. The South African accent is number two. And uh, number one is Kiwi from New Zealand. Okay, so the British type accent was super popular because Australia and then you said the Kiwi which is um, New Zealand Zealand, both have like the British taste to it what I don't like about that list is Scottish and Irish I don't find those to be like elegant pretty (laughs) accents at all it's very interesting my question is where's Bridgeport in it where's the back of the yards that's a good accent Sox playing today wind Ah, too windy uh, come in June. Nets D'Angelo Russell cited for marijuana possession and checked bag in LaGuardia. Uh-oh. Brooklyn Nets all-star point guard D'Angelo Russell was cited at a New York airport Wednesday night uh, for marijuana possession. Russell, who was flying from LaGuardia to Louisville, was questioned by police after routine TSA check. Russell received a summons to appear in court for marijuana possession of less than 50 grams. The citation Russell received is a violation under the New York law and a fine is $100 or less. Keep our eyes on that because he really came to the main stage with the Nets and he had a little weed on him. Hiding weed in something that looks like too many ounces of liquid that you can't bring on the plane is a bad idea. It is a bad idea. Not very smart by D'Angelo. Not at all, actually. Um, Got to put that in your sock. The, um, not that I would know. Northview Heights man. <laughs> Pleads guilty to fatal shooting in a beer dispute. Oh, yes. The Northview Heights man pleaded guilty Thursday to a third-degree murder for fatally shooting his friend in Avalon over a dispute over beer. So this guy is scheduled to be in court, on, and prosecutors withdrew a firearms charge in exchange for a plea. The two of them, along with a third man, uh, they were shooting guns in the ravine. When one guy went to go get a beer, police said that the guy returned. The other guy became angry and said, hey, that's the wrong beer and shot him over beer. Tremendous. Why'd you bring me that Bud Light? You know I like Miller Light. <laughs> Boom. And just like that. There you go. Oh, this country. Um, da, 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 da. Man with moose nuggets in carry-on says politics stinks. With what? So politics can stink. That was the message delivered by a traveler to airport inspectors in Alaska who found moose nuggets inside his carry-on bag. So KTOO, K2, the public media reports that the man told agents he collects the droppings and likes to present it for politicians. Uh, and their bleep policies. 
The TSA spokesperson says that the discovery did not warrant writing a report, and the man was sent on his way with the poop. Really? Really? So you're, you're going to throw it at politicians because you don't like what's going on? Moose poop, too. I mean, this guy needs to be charged. I think he needs to be able to spend some time with his own personal poop in a wholesome place in Alaska. Unbelievable. Moose nuggets. That's what yeah, moose nuggets. <laughs> That's not what I call my nuggets. <laughs> no. Not at all. Jonathan Hood. So pay attention to my word. Cause it's the truth. Meditation is the mind. It brings the youth. It's like a verse you could never read out of a book. Dropping the line in your See, mind. I, I call my nuggets, you know. I call them up. Uh,